Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and I'm so happy to have you join us today. I am excited to introduce you to my guest. She has so much to share with us. And if you are a first time listener, this is the place where we educate, empower, entertain you a little bit, and inspire you to live your most fearlessly authentic life. Because if you are not living your most fearlessly authentic life, what is the meaning of this life we're living? I was always such a scaredy cat. I still get scared sometimes, but for the most part, I think I'm pretty much living in my truth. And so if you are a first time listener, thank you so much for joining us. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. We have a five-star rating. You can find me anywhere on any of my social platforms at Jody Harrison Bauer. You could check us out on YouTube so you can see who I'm interviewing. And I think that is about it. So thank you for joining us and welcome to the show, Hallie Rosa. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here and I'm glad you are feeling better. Um, You know, Hallie and I met last week and there was some very interesting news um, that came out. And before we get into it, I want to give you some background about Hallie and then I want her to tell your her story to all of you. And, and then we will talk about the news that came out, which horrified me. All right, Hallie, here we go. Hallie Rosa is a disability advocate from South Florida. While working for an NBC News affiliate at the age of 25, she was injured in a car accident, leaving her paralyzed from the waist down. After noticing the lack of representation in society for the disabled community, Hallie sought to make changes. Fueled by her passion to not let circumstances define her, I love that, Hallie, Hallie works to bring inclusivity and accessibility to a new generation of consumers. She has since collaborated with iconic brands like Off-White, LVMH, Skims, and Tommy Hilfiger, bringing disability to the forefront of a changing cultural landscape. Her campaign for Off-White titled for everyone was cited by CNN as one of the fashion industry's moves to set a new precedent for inclusive casting. Hallie is determined to show the world how beautiful differences are and uplift those around her. That's so beautiful. And, you know, I have a daughter the same age as you and not to sound like, you know, an old Jewish mother here, but um, I don't know you well, and but I feel like I do know you, and I'm just so proud of like what you're doing to um, bring this to the forefront front of everybody's brain, because we need we need to be educated all the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's an ongoing thing in society. I think that people want to fight for representation, and I'm happy to be, you know, the one that's out there doing it. I guess, but. You know, I've lived both lives of being able-bodied and disabled, so I can see both sides. Yeah, and I think that's 
what's so special about you also is that you you have a voice and you know what it's like to be both people. So let's go back. I want everyone to know your story about eight years ago, right? January 17th. Did I get that date right? Yeah, exactly. Nailed it. Um, What happened that day? So I was living in North Dakota working as a news anchor and reporter, and I was best friends with, you know, one of the other news anchor um, reporters that was there as well. Um, And we both had friends in town at the time. So we were like, let's go grab brunch and show them one of our favorite diners. And we were kind of bouncing around ideas, things that we can do that day with them. And we hadn't been skiing at this place called Bontno Winter Park yet. So we were like, let's head there. I think it was about an hour and a half, um, you know, away from the city we were living in. And we went to Walmart, grabbed ski clothing, some good candy for the ride, like nothing crazy, didn't overthink it. Um, And we actually had a fifth friend at brunch with us who opted out of going last minute. Um, So we got in the car and, you know, about an hour in or so we hit black ice. And um, I remember my friend saying that, she hit black ice and the car wouldn't stop and her friend telling her not to overcorrect basically. Um, and we just, you know, kind of had to go with wherever the car was going to take us at that point. Um, so yeah, we hit black ice and basically the car rolled over. I was ejected and, you know, was laying flat out on the snow with a broken back, which at the time I didn't even know was broken. (laughs) I think I was in so much shock that, I really just wasn't even feeling pain. I was kind of just laying in the snow. I I mean, I've heard stories of people getting into accidents and they are in such shock that they don't feel the pain, but you were there for a little while, right? Until, cause you were on a desolate road in North Dakota somewhere, because of course, like when I think of North Dakota, I think of it desolate all over the place, but you know, it was a desolate road and it, how it took a while for somebody to find all of you, right? Yeah, I don't know the exact timing, but it felt like forever. Um, it definitely mm-hmm. was a while because, like I said, we were out there on, you know, a desolate road that was just leading us to go skiing. Um, it was long enough that a trucker eventually came by and pulled over and gave me a blanket to put over me until um, the ambulance showed up. So they brought you to the hospital and coincidentally, you knew the ER doctor Yeah. So I, um, you know, after the drive to the hospital, the first person I see after I notice this big, like scary metal, like room that I remember, like, I don't even know if it was 20 people, but to this day, I'm like, there was probably 20 people and they're waiting for me to get there. Um, so I'm like wheeled in and, you know, one of the faces that I recognized was the ER doctor who, Ironically, I had sat next to on a plane from Minneapolis to North Dakota a couple months prior. That's crazy. And what did he say to you? He was the one that, you know, was in the room when I had a CT scan or whatever. And he also delivered the news, you know, very matter of fact, you're never going to walk again. While I was alone, you know, a 24 year old, just like alone, basically hearing this. So I was like, hmm. So walk us through what happens next in your life. You're told this, you have surgery, right? Yeah. So actually I was told that. And I remember like to this day, my heart sinking, but not really like, um, 
you know, not really understanding, I guess, the, the full effect. Yeah. Like what that really meant. Like, obviously it means you're never going to walk again, but I don't think you comprehend what's going on in that very moment. Um, you know, I was probably on whatever drugs at that point too, that they had given. Right. Me. Okay. Like let's deal with this later. Um, that and at sense. the time, yeah, my parents were, you know, already alerted and flying to North Dakota to get to me. Um, but I ended up having surgery in Minneapolis. So, um, I flew there like a day or two after the accident to have that surgery. Um, and then I spent about a week in Minneapolis until I was cleared to then go to rehab in Chicago. And so what this ER doctor had told you was definitely true. So when you went to Minneapolis, it was to see if they could correct, they could do surgery on your back or you knew you, it was definitive. Was there any hope? So the first thing I've learned with this injury is, you know, doctors are great, but they're, you know, they're book taught, not to say that they don't know other things. I think doctors are very smart, but the spinal cord is a really interesting thing. Um, there's really no way to tell the damage besides imaging, which isn't necessarily going to tell you if someone's going to walk again. Um, like you can tell if someone has a burst fracture or how bad the spinal cord was injured. Was it fully, um, you know, broken or damaged or was it just pinched? Um, right. Could it be fused together? So indeed you right. would be able so to walk again. I needed surgery because my back was literally broken in half. Like there was no, if I need surgery, it, it really wasn't a matter of like questioning surgery. It was, right. I needed to be put back together. Right. And, you know, they assess the damage of your spinal cord kind of more, I guess, while they're doing the surgery. Um, and, you know, like I said, doctors are very smart, but there's no de- definitive answer of if you're going to walk again. So I've learned that he shouldn't have really said that, the ER doctor. When you told me that, I thought, hmm, that's a bold statement to make to somebody who's in shock, who you don't even have, you haven't been inside her body. You don't really know what what her spinal cord looks like. Right. So, yeah, I've learned along the way that that's not something, you know, a doctor's supposed to say. Right. And I've also seen so many people with spinal cord injuries that walk at all different levels. So, you know, it really, every body is different. I mean, we're all like genetically made up differently. So there's no one case that's the same, you know, no two cases that are the same here. Um, So yeah, it's really just a matter of what it comes down to, I think is kind of luck of what you get back. So you had the surgery, you were in Minneapolis for four days you go through the surgery and at that point it is definitely made the conclusion is you will not be able to walk. No, there was still no still, conclusion. Okay. Okay. I hadn't even been to, you know, inpatient rehab yet. Okay. So my father did like extensive research on the best rehabs in our country And that's how I ended up at, it's now Shirley Ryan Ability Lab in Chicago. It was Rehab Institute of Chicago at the time. Um, So I did three months of inpatient there. And it starts with, you know, like literally learning to sit up again. Um, 
you know, occupational therapy, physical therapy, um, learning to get dressed again, anything you can think of that you have to relearn is what I did for three months. So when you were going through that, your mind was fine. Mm, In the sense of what, like you, you weren't injured. You didn't have any brain injuries. So you were still that same girl, but obviously your life changed in a second. So how was going through that, that whole change in your life for anybody listening who knows somebody like you going through something similar, what was that like? What can people understand about that entire process? And you you still go for therapy. I do. Um, you know, I turned 25 10 days after my accident. So I had a hospital birthday with, you know, tons of flowers and whatnot being sent. And I'll never forget um, the therapist that they had sent to talk to me, telling me that my room actually reminded her of a funeral home because of how many flowers were in there and whatnot. And I'm like, nice. Thank you. We'll say the darndest things. Thank you so much. That's that's great. I love that for me. Um, But yeah, it was, it was very hard. I cried, I think for three months every day. Um, And I would ask my family every day, am I ever going to be happy again? Like, I would ask literally my dad says on repeat, I would just keep asking that as if like, you know, the answer was going to change or whatnot. Um, yeah. So it was, it was very rough. It was traumatic, you know, to see yourself so down and out basically is you, one minute you're fine. And the next year quite literally, you know, relearning to sit up in bed and go to the bathroom. Right. Right. So when you were in, Going back to when you were living in North Dakota, you worked as a journalist. Is that right? Right. Okay. So you had a very busy, active life. You were in your early 20s. You were strong. You were carrying around all that camera shit, right? Mm-hmm. I was. Yeah. So obviously you weren't going to go back to that. Right. And the priority was to work on you, to get your mind and body to a place where you could start functioning and feel like feeling as much as your new self as you possibly could. Mm-hmm. So you were in Chicago for how long? I think I spent probably three years in Chicago and I didn't know, you know, it was a very weird thing for me because for three months, I I had never been to Chicago prior. I went to school in Indiana and kids would go to Chicago all the time. And I was like, Chicago, what am I, what am I going to do there? I didn't know anything about it. Right. So it was a very weird thing when I was an inpatient to have my family or people bringing me things because I couldn't leave um, food from places, just like different things and not knowing what it even looked like outside of the walls that I was in, you know? So once I got outside three months later, I fell in love with the city and I was like, you know what, I'm going to stay here for a little bit. So I did, I stayed there and I lived, you know, near the rehab and was still able to go there. So you were living on your own, you continued, you, so everything that you learned in those three months, you were able to go off and live on your own. So no, for a while, my mom actually lived in Chicago with me. 
Mm -hmm. Um, but eventually, you know, I was ready to have my freedom back and, you know, be like a young woman living alone and making friends again, despite everything that had happened. Yeah. So tell me about the next big leap in your, in your life. You, you, how did you get involved in modeling? Tell me about that whole relationship with Virgil and everything that led to it from there. Yeah. So I think during, you know, okay, I should preface it with, I was, you know, shy for many years about my injury because I thought it was kind of like weird that I was just going to show up to see people that I had known forever. And now here I am in a wheelchair and I didn't want to be treated differently. And the whole thing was just like very eek to me. Well, I have, I have a question for you before you get into that. So, you know, as a person who had never been wheelchair bound, you're walking around. Did you ever notice anything about wheelchair accessibility? Like you see it, but like, you don't think about it. Like you sit on, on the toilet in a bathroom, in a restaurant and you see, pull the string for wheelchair assistance or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Did you ever think, not that you ever thought, oh, that might be me one day, but did things get, did you become more aware of that because you were different now? Um, before my injury, I was uneducated about any of it, which I think is part of the problem in society. You know, we're not taught anything about disabilities or, you know, anything about being paralyzed. I didn't know anything. Um, but after, yeah, obviously I think I I've learned a great deal about all of that. And, you know, it's funny because people are always like, oh, do you get mad when someone's in the handicap bathroom? And like, yeah, I do get out there. (laughs) There are 10 for you. Why do you have to poop in mine? Right. Good for you. I know. I, I, I know it's just, it's such an awareness that I think is so important. You know, my mom had obviously, my mom was obviously much, much older than you. And she had a stroke when she was in her eighties and um, seeing her in a wheelchair and she was, but she was completely paralyzed on her right side, but, and she was 80% speech impaired. So, but to see, a vibrant woman, even in her eighties being like that, you do become much more aware, much more sensitive to needs, but you also don't want to enable those people because you want them to still, my mom was a very independent woman such as yourself. And you're like, damn it. I don't, I don't, what you started saying was, I don't want to go out there and I don't want to have people treat me differently. I want to be treated the same way. So in that sense, when you started becoming more social again, did you have to tell your friends, like, just treat me normal? Or like, how was that? Um, I'm very lucky in the sense I've had, I'm like the weird group of friends that we've been friends for since middle school, elementary school. Some of us, some of us, I, I have a friend that I've met on the kindergarten school bus. I'm still best friends with. Great. So, you know, they don't really treat me any different. They kind of, you know, they're like, all right, get up or you move out of the way, like they don't care. Um, I don't even think they think about it much anymore. Uh, like for example, I've had a few people, including my own dad. Um, if I'm getting in one of their cars, they'll like forget to take the wheelchair and they're like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I literally don't even think of you like that. You use a wheelchair. So for some people it's become so whatever normal at this point that it's almost funny, but yeah, I, I mean, 
it's interesting. The people that I didn't know before my injury, I think that's the different part because maybe they don't know how to treat me. Mm. Um, but no, I've never really had any incident that is like super weird or anything. But you said at first you didn't, you didn't want to kind of embrace the new you Mm -hmm. kind of shied away from it. You were like, that's not me. This is, I'm not, I'm not part of that group. Right. I just felt, I felt like it wasn't me. I had lived most of my life, not in a wheelchair. I was like, I don't even know what my life is going to be. How am I supposed to like get out there and embrace what I don't even know what's, what's, what's going to happen. Right. What is the new normal for me? So what, when did the big switch happen? When did the, the aha moment go? Oh, okay. So, um, I would say like during the pandemic is when I noticed a change in society, even where people wanted to embrace, you know, different bodies, different cultures, you know, disabilities of all different types, you know, they wanted to see the representation. I think we hit a moment of like, people were sick of seeing the same shit basically. Um, yeah. So, you know, Virgil and I were talking because I had everybody know who Virgil is. Virgil created Off-White amongst like a million and a half other things. Right. But I had known him through some mutual friends for a while. So him and I were talking and we kind of discussed the idea of doing like a cool photo shoot. And he suggested active and swimwear because, you know, that's not necessarily something you put together with a wheelchair. So yeah, that's what we landed on. And we called it for everyone, which is also how I got my foundation name because he was pushing me to start a foundation. He knew I wanted to. Um, So, you know, after he passed, I went with the name for everyone because that was how everything started. And I really did want it to be for everyone. I want to talk about your foundation, but I want to go back to this story So at the time, and I agree with you during quarantine, during this craziness of COVID and nobody knowing what was going to happen, um, was a great time to bring some information, right? Educating the public, like, yes, this is me. I'm a young, vibrant woman wearing activewear because yes, I can work out. I do know how to lift a weight over my head. I do. And you've got a banging body, by the way. And so Um, do you. Oh, thank you. Um, And it's, I love that because I think the majority of the population out there does not understand that a young woman who is in a wheelchair needs to work out. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people, unfortunately, see a wheelchair and associate it with not doing anything, which, you know, is amazing to me that people think that way. But I guess that's all part of education and whatnot. Um, People in wheelchairs do move. We are not, you know, glued to the wheelchair. Um, And we like to do everything that, you know, able-bodied people like to do. I love the, the shots of you of laying on the beach laying out there, gorgeous, sexy, beautiful, young woman. And I just love what you're doing because I think so many women can relate to you and understand that like, she's no different than we are and there should be no difference. And you've just really embraced that. Like 
this is this is it. And so doing the active wear, doing the swimwear, you mentioned to me, yeah, I get on a boat. You know, I just might need a little bit of help getting on a boat, but I, yes, I'm not going to be wearing sweatpants like on a boat, like anywhere, like even at the beach. I ask my friends, like they know by now, honestly, I don't even have to ask if you invite me to the beach, obviously you're lifting me up and (laughs) putting me on a lounge chair. Right. And there I will lay just so beautifully and sexy. So it's the same thing. I just, you know, I ask for help when I need it. And that's really all it takes. You know, a lot of the time people are willing to help. So if you just ask, you shall receive. That's a good point. A lot of people don't ask. Um, When you told me when your birthday was, so I'm, I'm a Capricorn, I'm December 27th. So you're January or February, January 28th. So you're an Aquarius. Yes. Yes. So um, something about my sign, not to talk about me, but it's that I never ask for help. And that is a really hard thing. I don't think it's just a Capricorn thing, but I think it is when you are an independent person. I know I don't ask for help. And I have this disagreement with my youngest daughter where she says, I'm never going to ask if you need help. And I said, well, I'm never going to ask you if I need help. So why don't we just meet in the middle and just know that we're not going to go either way. So please ask me if I need help. And I will tell you if I need help. Whereas my other daughter is like, mom, do you need help? Do you need help? Do you need help? So was that really hard for you at the beginning? And it sounds like you have an amazing group of friends around you. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely hard in the beginning. I'm not going to lie. Like you're right. Asking for help is not always the easiest thing. Um, I think it's something that takes getting used to. Yeah. But, you know, now I'll be like in the grocery store and I'll have no problem asking someone for help. I'm not going to lie. Like if there's like a nice young hot guy next to me, I might not ask. But like that has nothing to do with like able-bodied or disabled. Like I probably asked a young hot guy for help at the grocery store before. Look, I ask for help all the time. Um, I'm short. I'm only five feet tall. And right, so the top somehow. I can't like when I'm in a plane, I need somebody to help me put that bag. And, you know, I could stand there forever. And there's like a very strong man sitting there and I'm like, dude, can you help me? Right. Like, can you help me? And so it is hard, especially when you try to be super independent to ask. But at the end of the day, we do need to ask for help and it's okay. We're still confident and, and strong women. Yeah. So, so you get involved, you do you in, do you get involved with different disabled communities? How do you start reaching out to different people? I know that you did modeling. So once you did the, the off white with Virgil, did more brands reach out to you? Um, yeah, I've done Tommy Hilfiger. Like we said, I've done skims. I did some work with Jennifer Zuner jewelry. Um, but, you know, regarding getting in touch with like people in the disability community, it's actually interesting because it's a really open and friendly and nice group. So I feel like there's no, like, it's not like a sorority or, or frat where you're getting hazed. I mean, everybody's very welcoming and understanding because we've all been through it. You know, there's someone who relates to you on every level, I feel like, um, So I kind of have all these friends that I would have never met who are, you know, amazing people that either were born with, you know, CP or 
or have spinal cord injuries um, all over the board, really. And I would have never known these people, but they're all amazing. Right. Right. So you, um, so let's go to the skims ad and you did that ad a while ago, right? I did it about a year ago. Yeah. Okay. So Candace Owens, a journalist, let's call her a journalist, um, having a journalism background and being a journalist yourself. I know we can use that in quotes. Um, and we're not here to bash, but kind of are, um, that she made a very inappropriate, um, she had a very inappropriate monologue about models in wheelchairs and mocking the inclusivity. Like how far are we going to take inclusivity? Really? Do we really need to see women in wheelchairs, right? That's exactly what she said. Women in wheelchairs modeling underwear and swimwear, like, come on people. And she got, and she's like, if I'm wrong, you know, educate me. And she got a lot of backlash and talk to me about that. What, what has gone on in your life since that comment last Wednesday? That it was comment, last Wednesday. That comment took on a life of its own. It really like, it, it was all over, um, rightfully so. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know who she was before that comment. Uh, I had friends send me that clip and basically tell me, hey, look, your body's attached to this. Right, right. It was you that she was referring to in that yeah. Skims ad. Yeah, it was me. So that was interesting. Um, and, you know, I just found her words to be like disturbing and damaging. Um, she sounded uneducated in that Very. clip. And if she had done her research as a journalist, she would have been able to easily find out that that was indeed adaptive clothing. Not that it should matter, because even if it were not adaptive clothing, I have every right to be modeling in a wheelchair. And I don't know why that would offend anybody. You know, it's almost like, and I've talked to a lot of people about this since then, it's almost like everybody's trying to find a soundbite, right? Mm-hmm. And it was almost like she was trying to find a great soundbite, but to what extent did she need to do this? Like for what, re- I, I still, I can't wrap my head around it. I was talking to my husband about it. I, I just don't get it. And the backlash is continuing. I know Christina Applegate was very vocal. She has MS and, um, how involved have you gotten in any of these conversations? Um, I would say I'm pretty involved. Uh, it wasn't necessarily something I thought that would need to go this far, but it really does. Um, you know, it's hard because when you're addressing someone like her, it's very hard to educate someone that doesn't want to be educated. Um, Good point. Yeah. So I, I'm happy to speak out on you know, behalf of the disabled community and give my thoughts and educate people. But like I said, it's pretty hard when you're dealing with someone who honestly does not want to learn, even if they say they do. Um, You know, her apology was. It it wasn't even, it wasn't even an apology. And so, uh, and then she, you know, she, she went on to continue to bash 
Lizzo for some reason. Like, what did I, Lizzo do here? I, I know, I know. And um, I think she did speak with Christina Applegate. I'm not really sure. There was some like tweets exchanged, I believe. And right. it didn't seem like anything productive came from that. So, so explain to us adaptive clothing. I mean, it, I, I can understand what it means, but break it down for me adaptive versus yeah. Non- so, for example, the line by Skims was they put uh, basically hook and eye closure in front of the bra, and on the I side, would like that personally. You know, when I when I was modeling, and I was like, this would also be like amazing for breastfeeding mothers, like yes. you know, super easy to undo. So, yeah, it is adaptive. Um, but the bottoms had the hook and eye on each side of the underwear. Um, which is really good for people who, you know, have trouble lifting their legs or even, you know, if they can't use their hands and lift their legs or scooching side to side, you know, there's so many different reasons that that can be a helpful way to put your underwear on. Okay. So I didn't even think about this until you just mentioned it. So Skims created this adaptive clothing. Were they inspired by by you, were they, where did this inspiration come from? Do you know I don't know. I literally was just, you know, model. model. Um, I don't know anything other than that. And, you know, I'm thankful that they did make this because it will probably yeah. do other brands doing more things like this, but yeah, I don't Especially know. Especially with intimate apparel. I think that it's so important for, for men and women, you know, yeah. I mean, if it can help anybody, it's amazing. And, you know, the the spending power of the disabled community is actually so large that it, it makes sense that brands would want to get involved. Like, you know, on TikTok, people are like, well, they're just doing it for money. Okay. As long as they're doing it, like it's a brand, of course. Well, gonna- that's the whole thing. It's like they're creating something that they see is necessary, a pain point. They yeah. need it. People. So if you create something where there's a need, then that's okay. If you profit from it, people are right. buying it because I mean, they need it. I don't know why people get so heated by that. I'm like, of course they want to make money and they should, if they create right. something that people love and can use, like it's not free product. Right. So you've gone from being a journalist to being a model now and bringing awareness to creating your own foundation. Yes. So you just like formed it finally, right? In January. January. Yes. Yay. And congratulations for finally doing that. Um, Tell us about that. Yeah. So I was, you know, I always wanted to do this, but it's actually so hard to get off the ground and start. So I kind of bit the bullet and did it. And I, you know, when I wanted to start it, I wanted it to be like new generation feeling not, you know, if you look at like uh, foundations that have been around forever, they kind of all like mimic the same um You pick one thing, you donate to one, it goes to one specific thing, right? Um, But I didn't want to be like pigeonholed into one specific thing just because I have a spinal cord injury. I didn't feel like, oh, well, I'm only going to give back to people with spinal cord injuries. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I told you how I got the name for it. Um, 
And it really is for everyone. It's going to go back to people with varying disabilities. So, you know, that could be mobility aids, that can be inpatient, outpatient rehab services, that can be, you know, uh, things that the rehabs need to keep going. It can be education, it can be research, it can be recreational programs. Um, And I I just want to help as many people as I can, not only people with what I have. How can people reach you if they want to get involved make a donation? Yeah. So the website is www.foreveryone.foundation and our Instagram is at foreveryone.foundation. So it's pretty, pretty simple. No, it's the simpler, the better. It was like, yeah. your e- it was like your email. I'm like, why doesn't it, why isn't everybody's email just this simple? Yeah. Also, I have so many passwords and whatnot. I'm like, the more simple I make things, the more easier. I know. Again, my daughter's like, mom, you need to change your, your, some of your passwords around. I'm like, I, I can't because I can never remember them, but I, I, wrote, I, I wrote, wrote them all down. I'm like, I have a list, a running list now. I know it's so hard. So tell me what is your, what it was it, what is a, a regular day for Hallie? Uh, it depends. I mean, I go to physical therapy three days a week and I spend two hours a day on those three days. Okay. Um, And, you know, that is relearning to walk using a walker and, you know, doing balance exercises and pretty much anything you can think of. And I also just had neck surgery. So we're working on that. Um, Really? Yeah. Unrelated to my accident. Um, So, yeah. So on a day that I have physical therapy, I wake up, you know, do that, get that over with. And then I come home and I'm really trying to start this foundation and get it off the ground. So I'll work on that or any, um, you know, brands that I work with on, on the side, I'll try to answer all of that and, you know, get outside. Like, so I'm going to ask you kind of, I'm, a, like, a, I'm really boring to be honest. Oh, no, no, no. I'm boring. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very boring. I'm like, no, you're not boring at all. You're doing a lot of wonderful things. So would you, do you want to continue to model? Is that how you want to, with the foundation and using yourself as a model to bring awareness to other people? Do you feel that, you know, I always believe things happen for a reason. Okay. Good, bad, or indifferent. Um, And sometimes we look back and we go, okay, that happened for this reason. This is my life's purpose. Do you ever think like that? Or what, what kind of thoughts go through your head when you do think about that this happened eight years ago? What's your thought process? You know, I, I do like the modeling side of it, but it's it's funny because I, I don't look at the pictures of myself and think like, like yeah, okay, some of them like great picture, whatever, but I don't really do it for me to like sit and stare at these photos, but I remember being the girl laying in a hospital bed crying and it would have been nice to see something like this at the time. Yeah. Um, so I more so like to do it. It gives me you know, pleasure to do it, knowing that someone else will see it and feel comfort in seeing that photo. That's really beautiful. It really, that is really, really beautiful. I, um, I remember when I was in my thirties, I was 35 and I wanted to compete in fitness shows and I was married at the time. My daughters were like three and seven and 
I bought Oxygen magazine. That was like the fitness magazine I used to watch. And I would look at all these girls in there and I said, I want to be like that one day. But you know what? The women who were those women in there were in their 20s. So I wasn't that far off. I was in my 30s, but I was considered like older. Yeah. And it would have been nice when I won my show, my two world shows at the age of 49. I and I thought it was important to get that message out there that older women are relevant, but there was nobody out there. And I remember my coach says, Harrison, nobody wants to look at a 49 year old woman. See, like they want to see the, tw- they want to see the 20 year olds. They want to see the 22 year olds. And guess what now, Hallie, everybody's embracing the older woman. You know, I mean, I see sports illustrated and everything. So, you know, I see it yeah. all. Yeah. And it's, um, and I tried out for Sports Illustrated. I don't know if you know that, but we'll talk about that another time. But I made global news being the oldest person to ever try out for Sports Illustrated. I love that. I love that. And I was 58 at the time because, you know, getting older isn't always something that people embrace. Yeah. And so you have to bring that awareness. But similar to you, I was always looking, well, I wish I had that in my life because that would inspire me. So I I am just so grateful to meet you and your inspiration is going to help so many people and what you're doing with your foundation is going to inspire and motivate people to be educated, feel empowered so they can inspire other people. And um, one of the reasons, many reasons I wanted to have you on the show was because I feel like you are fearless and authentic and yeah. you're, you're, you're standing in your truth. And so I want to ask you as the very last question we have is what does it mean to you to live a fearlessly authentic life? Just be true to yourself. Um, I think so many times we think so much into things and we we forget we can just be ourselves Um, in a world of like all this social media and this and that it's, you know, just be authentic, be yourself. And and that's going to be the best version of you. And it's not always easy. No, it's not. It's not. It's very easy to get caught up in everything, of course. Um, But I I do think it's, you know, if you can be your authentic self, you'll be happy. Yeah, very, very well said. How, besides your foundation, if somebody wants to reach out to you on TikTok or Instagram, what, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, it's Hal Rosa, H-A-L-R-O-S-A. Another, another simple one. Very, very simple. Well, I've did simple for years. And um, I I've, did have one more question. Um, have you ever spoken to Candace Owens? Yes, Candace did call me. Um, yes. Okay, <laughs> yeah. and that was it. Okay, and we won't uh, get into it any more than that. But she did reach out to you. She did reach out to me. I do believe, you know, some people just are never going to change their views, I guess mm-hmm. I should say. Um I would call the phone call unproductive. It was kind of, yes, yes, sure, uh uh-huh, whatever. Uh, You know, at some point, I don't want to be part of the circus, even if I'm talking to a clown. Love that. Yeah, it's almost like her PR people said, call her, you need to call her. And so you felt it, You, you felt that whole vibe through the phone. Yeah, it was just whatever, you know, it wasn't worth it wasn't anything special. Well, I think you're a tough cookie. Another old, old term that I'm using, but I, I said that to my daughter when I got off the phone with you, I go, Whoa, she's, she's a tough girl. And so I am again, grateful to meet you. Hopefully I'll get to meet you in person. 
And um, thank you so much for being on Fearlessly Authentic. Thank you. It was so fun. I love you. I love you too. And we'll get to meet soon. I know. I can't wait. And for everybody listening, thank you so much for joining us today. And until next week, go live your most fearlessly authentic life. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.